Isn't it incredible that he loves me? That he loves each of us with that uh, astounding love. What grace, amazing grace. How many of you are saints? All right, most of you got it. There's some of you that are new. Let me just help you out. You are. If you've, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a saint. That simply means you have been set apart for God. You've set apart to him, set apart from this world to be his child. And he's at work in us to transform us into his likeness and actually uh, make us what we normally think a saint to be, someone who's attained some great level. But Paul addresses every letter uh, to, the, to the people in the churches there and calls them all saints because they are and you are. And I am, by his grace, huh? He is so good. On September 11th, 2001, 19 Al-Qaeda-trained terrorists pretending to be harmless citizens boarded four commercial airliners on the East Coast. And we know uh, the rest of that horrible story. Two of them uh, crashing into the Twin Towers, one of them into the Pentagon, and one ending up in a field in Pennsylvania. Nineteen men went unidentified and were able to board airliners who had evil intent. They didn't look different that day than most of the others getting onto those planes. Of course, we weren't near as alert and intent on checking uh, at the time because I think we just didn't think that kind of a thing could happen. But they slipped in among the normal airline passenger and ended over 3,000 lives. In that tragic day, every day around the world, people come and go from gatherings of the body of Christ. And they look just like the rest of us, dress like us, talk like us. They, they may even know a bunch of the same lingo that we use as Christians. But there are some who are pretenders. They, they don't even see it that way necessarily. And, and I tell you what, on, on September 11th, 2001, those guys thought they were doing a good thing. They thought they were fighting a holy war. And there are people that enter into churches and do lots of damage. And Paul talks about that in a number of his letters and warns Christians be on guard. Let's read together Philippians 3, 1 to 3. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So again, he's, he's written this a few different times to different churches. But here he goes, verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. 
For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right, so tonight we're going to talk specifically about identifying true saints. Identifying true saints and thinking about our own lives and are we lining up with what a true saint really is. And the first thing that is mentioned here is true saints rejoice in the Lord. I had one of those mornings this morning. I I didn't have a day off this week scheduled, but I noticed that everyone else was supposed to be there at my workplace, so I asked, can I get a day off this week? And they gave me today. So I had the, the pleasure of getting to have the day off, not thinking I was going to until yesterday. I got up, and my wife had set aside. There were three steps, strips of bacon left. And um, now I... This is embarrassing, but I, I wasn't sure what temperature to do bacon on. I've, I'm not much of a cook. I'm really spoiled. Rhonda does most of the cooking. I can do eggs, and I can do cereal and, and a few other things. But I tried bacon this morning. I texted her because I'd forgotten to ask her, what, what temperature should I put them on? And I texted her, and, and she didn't get back to me, and time slipped. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to jump in and do it. Now, it seems to take a while when she does it, so I'm just going to put it on high. So I, I did. I threw them into the pan, and and I then I went over and I cracked a couple eggs, and I was going to scramble them, put them in the bowl. Uh, oh, and there in the bowl was a, a a black speck in the the yolk of one of the. Th- and I that kind of bugged me. So so I got to work trying to dig. The, have you ever tried to dig a little thing out of yolk, egg yolk? Oh my word! I had the hardest time getting that little speck out of that egg yolk. It went on and on, and I, f- I finally got the thing, and I ah, and then I noticed the smoke over here, and uh, and I look oh no the the bacon was just totally black and crumpled, I had, I had destroyed it, and so then I oh okay I cleaned up the pan and and uh, took took it outside so it could smoke out there and uh, and I just okay I'm going to go ahead and do my eggs, and so I went to the fridge to grab some milk because I like to mix a little bit of milk in with my scrambled eggs. And when I went to grab the milk carton, I noticed that the whole top shelf is covered with milk. I just bought the carton yesterday. There must have been a pinhole in the bottom of the thing and it was leaking all over. So I had to take the time and uh, clean that all up. And anyway, it was... I was so frustrated. And as you know, last week I preached on not being a grumbler, right? So I I told the Lord finally at the end of this ordeal, Lord, okay, I'm fine being just immature the way I am. Let's let's skip any more of this stuff today. But um, God calls for us to rejoice. And the cool thing is that after I calmed down, settled down, had something to eat, went upstairs, sat and worshipped him, it was good. It was good. Ended up having a great day. Really, really great day. And I couldn't always respond that way. Uh, I'm, I told you last week that I, I'm a whiner naturally. I really am... It's disgusting, really. But to God's, he's changing me. He's transforming me, just like he promised he would. 
And I'm grateful because I, I don't like who I used to be. But true saints rejoice in the Lord. And listen, I want to say this because I, I, there are some of you in here that that is way easier said than done. In fact, some of you are really suffering, not just having trouble with eggs and milk, but you're having serious issues in life. And uh, God sees, and he loves you. And the amazing thing is in him, in the Lord, we still can rejoice no matter what we're facing. Philippians 3, 1 again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Then Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, what we need to know is this is not a fake cheeriness. This is not, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. This is great. <laughs> uh, the, the fake thing. It is not the plastered on Barbie look and actions. Uh, it is a command. This actually is a command to rejoice. Uh, but this is rejoicing is not in relation to our circumstances. Did you know that? That our command to rejoice or the command to rejoice from the king isn't, doesn't come with the caveat that as, as long as things are great, rejoice. He simply says, rejoice in the Lord. Wow. Does he know what you're going through? Yes, as a matter of fact, he does. This rejoicing is to be done, and this is the key, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You're not rejoicing about your circumstances. I wasn't rejoicing this morning that I I didn't get to savor that incredible bacon. I, I rejoiced because even though I had a rough couple minutes there, he remains king of kings and lord of lords. And I remain his child through his grace, through no work of my own. And his promises for me Remain, No matter what I'm experiencing, I am in him. And there is a great deal to be rejoicing about. The phrase in the Lord speaks to the sphere in which the believer, the believer's joy exists. And our joy exists in that unassailable, unchanging relationship with our sovereign Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why we can rejoice. Because no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult, tough things are, he remains and we remain in him. And his love for us is sure. And that's beautiful. Just this past Sunday, Pastor, uh, Dr. Bain was, was preaching, and remember he was talking about uh, mind and heart. He talked about where the feelings come from. And our, this call to rejoice, does, again, does not depend on how we feel. In fact, often it's more crucial that we rejoice when we're not feeling like doing so. 
I'm always tempted when I'm struggling, just like this morning. I, it, it's actually fun for me to be able to tell you that I came out of that pretty quickly and uh, had a fantastic day because I chose to rejoice instead of what I used to do. What I used to do is feel sorry for myself and mope and whine, and, uh, and the enemy then has a heyday because then I'm really vulnerable to him and the other temptations that, that uh, are a part of my life. In the Lord, we have confidence of being his children, all the blessings, promises that come with that reality. Remember, Paul's writing this where? In prison. Rejoice in the Lord. And he did. Rejoice in the Lord. He did it while imprisoned, shipwrecked, beaten, snake-bitten. Goes on and on. Rejoice in the Lord. Number two, this command to rejoice in the Lord is actually a reasonable command because what we have in him is eternal, unassailable, and glorious. Amen? It's tough to think of that. Someone who's really having a suffering, really in the middle of difficult things, that is not easily done. But if we can choose to rejoice in him and praise him for what we have in the future and what he has done for us in the past, that can impact how we're able to deal with the present. The number three, true saints must guard against fake saints. It's a very real thing. Again, Philippians 3 verse 2 says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of false circumstances. Now, you need to understand, I'm a mailman. And I am not a fan of dogs. Sorry if you're a dog lover. I have learned to not be so fond of dogs. I had them when I was young. Loved them. Had a great time with them. Uh, I see them with clear eyes now. They're evil. They can... I tell you, some people, I, I, I don't get it. There's some places where I will head to the door with a parcel and there is a humongous 150-pound pit bull crashing against the plate glass window, salivating at the chance to chew on my leg. And they, it just goes on. And I just hurry and try and get back to my truck before it crashes through. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Actually, what these dogs can do, it can actually be far worse for our lives than just to get a bite of some kind. During the first century, dogs roamed the streets. They did not treat dogs in the first century like we treat dogs today. They treated them like they should. (laughs) Sorry again to you dog lovers. Uh, They roamed the streets. They were essentially scavengers. uh, And uh, they were filthy creatures back then, literally, because they were never cared for, kept, and cleaned, and so on. Um, And because they were just filthy creatures, uh, the Jews would actually refer to the Gentiles as dogs. That was their pet name for the Gentiles. And here, Paul refers to the Judaizers as dogs. 
and he does that to describe their vicious and uncontrolled behavior. Because the Judaizers were actually very vicious at this time. They would come to people that were new Christians and they would try and convince them, listen, you must do this. You must do that. Look at Psalm 22, verses 16 and 20. It says, For dogs have surrounded me, and evil, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is actually from the Messianic Psalm. This is Christ, uh, the, the prophecy of Christ on the cross. They pierced my hands and feet. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. So, what makes Judaizers so bad as to receive this description from Paul? It's this. They were teaching salvation by works. And brothers and sisters, that is heinous. It is wrong. And it causes such grief such insecurity, such trouble for young believers that are not steadfast in their understanding and conviction. Number four, those who teach salvation by works are dogs. And I I don't mean to belittle, but this is is a pretty good description. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Judaizers were proud of their religious activities and their legalistic accomplishments. They were proud of their legalism, and yet their hearts were actually far from God. Their hearts were far from God. God came into their midst. God, it had been prophesied over and over and over the coming of the Messiah and what it would be like. And he came. And they were the chief ones responsible for his torment, his torturing, and his persecution, crucifixion. They were proud of their legalism, yet their hearts were far from God. Matthew seven fifteen says, Beware of false prophets who come in to you as sheep in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Acts 20, 29 and 30 says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Satan is intent. He is intent on stealing your joy robbing you of the peace and the comfort that comes with your salvation. And he will use people that are attending churches to spread 
false doctrine. There are basically two ways that deceivers work to lead believers astray. The first is legalism, and that was what the Judaizers mostly uh, were involved in, which is demanding adherence to rituals and uh, ordinances uh, to have salvation. But the other way that dogs and uh, the Judaizers would try and deceive and cause trouble is license. Uh, And by that I mean, hey, you're saved by grace, so what does it matter what you do now? Which is nearly as heinous as trying to be saved by grace. Because it does matter what we do. Both of those ways of deceiving are heinous because they detract from the holiness and sufficiency of Christ. He alone is worthy of glory, amen. He alone is worthy of praise. Here in Galatians 5, 1 to 12, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Here Paul's telling them, don't, don't let them convince you to go into the legalism. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law just to get circumcised. If that's what you're going to depend on, that's not going to be sufficient. You need to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. All right. And then 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4 says, For I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of what? Devotion to Christ. This is what the king wants. This is what we must be about. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Second Corinthians eleven two to 4 
So we need to beware. Even when, when you listen to me, maybe especially when you listen to me, make sure what I'm telling you is in accordance with the word of God. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of John MacArthur. Big fan. I have just have gained so much from his insights. But every once in a while I'll say, whoa, John, what's your, what makes you think that? <laughs> I'd love to pick his brain. And uh, people do. He, he hears it. But we're all, while, while John and, and you and I are, are not necessarily dogs and evildoers, blasphemers, we all need to take great care with the word of God. Great care. Number five, you can tell a true saint because true saints worship in the spirit of God. Beware of dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, 2 to 3. A genuine believer overflows with worship, overflows with worship out of gratitude for the magnificent blessings that come with their adoption as sons and daughters. This is, this is how you can tell somebody who's truly a saint, truly a follower of Christ, there is joy. And again, joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on the knowledge of where we stand with our creator and savior, king. This is pure adoration and praise that transcends rituals and ceremonies. Remember the little story in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. And uh, uh, in that story, he reveals um, the fact that she's been married multiple times, and that stuns her. And uh, at that point, she says, the woman said to him, John four nineteen to 24, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I always think that's pretty funny. You know, he just told her these incredible things that he could not possibly know. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. True worshipers are devoted to God. He has no rival for the affection of a true saint. He stands clearly above and beyond all else in their lives. He is exalted in their heart and in their mind to that place above all others, all other activities, all other people, all other things. He is supreme and they worship him as such. 
This is to worship in spirit. And true saints worship in truth in that their actions then line up with their stated commitment to Christ. He is their savior and their master. That's true worship when not only do we give him all glory and honor for redeeming us, but then we act like we've been redeemed. That's where the importance of how we act comes in. A true saint wants only, only to honor him, to please him and honor him and give him glory. And so we devote our lives to being obedient and we're listening for any call from him and we're saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. He's not just our savior, but he is our master as well. A true saint, their worship is a continual demonstration of total submission to his sovereign lordship, not mere words. We worship in spirit and in actual truth. True saints are not simply marked by attending church or performing religious duties, but by a worshiping heart. I can recall in younger years when my devotion was split, when I was still captivated by some of the things of the world. It's an unpleasant place to be, and some of you know what I'm talking about. When you know Jesus is is Jesus, and you know you need him, and you want salvation, but you're still really drawn by these other things that you know don't belong. It's a miserable place to be. It's an ugly place to be. And that's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. In Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, Paul says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is a true saint. Oh, I love when I'm doing this. I'll confess, I don't always do this. There are times when I'm distracted. There are times when I'm not fully engaged in this. And there are times and there are seasons and things that we face that make it really hard, difficult to do this. But if we can get our eyes back on him, seek him with all our heart, and choose to worship and give him the praise he deserves, It's amazing how it can lift us in those times. Easier said than done, but oh, the beauty of being there. Number six, true saints glory in Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about already in in, uh, worshiping in spirit, but we, everything is about him. A true saint, it's all about Jesus because he is everything. Without him, 
I have nothing. My life is such an empty disaster if I didn't have Jesus. Philippians 3, 2 and 3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. To glory is to boast with exuberant joy about what a person is most proud of. Let me read that again. Glory, to glory, is to boast with exuberant joy about a person, uh, about what a person is most proud of. What are you most proud of in your life? I tell you what, there is nothing else in my life that comes remotely close to receiving glory. But Jesus, he is everything. True saints humbly humbly recognize the stunning magnanimity of God in choosing us for adoption. And true saints recognize the enormity of the sacrifice that Christ willingly gave for our redemption. That's why we glory in him, because he deserves all glory. I'm going to read a, a pretty long passage here. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31, but listen carefully. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach what? Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, That's us. Not a one of us is extraordinary. Least of all me. But he chose us. It's astounding. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God but by his doing but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus hallelujah who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? It's all Jesus. True saints accept no credit 
for their transformation. True saints cannot be prideful if their eyes are on Christ. There is humble gratitude. Humble gratitude. That's all we can do because we recognize it's all him. It's all him. True saints, glory in Christ. And then number seven, true saints put no confidence in the flesh. Again, Philippians 3, 2 to 3, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see, the Jews, they placed a great deal of confidence in being circumcised, in being descendants of Adam, in observing laws and ceremonies and rituals and the Mosaic laws. They took great pride in that. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And then John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. No man can in any way merit salvation. It is only those who forsake prideful effort and humbly receive his gift by grace, through faith, that will come to the saving knowledge of our glorious King. Amen. Only true repentance, which puts no confidence in the flesh, leads to salvation. Again, Philippians 3, 1 to 3. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the true saint, brother, sister. True saint rejoices in the Lord. A true saint stays on guard for fake saints. True saints worship God in spirit and truth. True saints glory in Christ Jesus and in him alone. And they put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus, we humbly bow before you and again give you all praise, honor, glory, blessing. You alone are worthy. We know we know that you are the creator of this world. We know that you are also the son of God who took on the form of man, became man, lived a sinless life. You were crucified dead for three days, resurrected, and now sit at the right hand of the throne of glory. And it is only 
through your incredible sacrifice by grace through faith that we now are redeemed. We now know that we will one day stand before the throne of God and he will see us as holy. We now are saints all because of you and your great love and your great submission and obedience and humility to the point of death. We owe everything to you. We worship you. We thank you. Oh God, have mercy. If there's ones today who are being attacked by the enemy in trying to convince them to accept things that are not pure, the gospel of Christ, that you'd give them discernment, Jesus. Give all of us discernment to see and to know and to be able to stand firm and say no to the dogs and the blasphemers, the evildoers. Help us to not be deceived. Lord, give us discernment. Surround and protect your little ones. And how grateful I am, Jesus, that that is what you do. But we need to pay attention, so help us, Lord. And Jesus, I also pray for the ones in our midst who are being challenged right now, even to rejoice in you because they are suffering. Lord, have mercy. You know that we are but dust. And you understand what we are going through. You suffered even more than we have. But may that reality, that truth, give hope and encouragement to the ones that are suffering here tonight. And may we all take great comfort and hope and joy in your great love. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.